Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And by golly, Brian, they finally did it. It has happened. My absolutely off-the-wall plan of ban eight cards in standard has almost now fully been implemented. It took a long time. It wasn't just do it all in one shot. But we have very slowly gotten most of my list out the door, and I could not be more excited. I didn't, I didn't believe this. When I saw it at first. Well, there's a, there's a good reason for that, right? Like it we've wasn't gotten used, Yeah, we've gotten used to this paradigm of the announcement of the announcement, but that also bit it with this announcement, at least for a little while. I woke up about an hour after this announcement happened. So it was a little bit later in the discussion of it all. So it was pretty clear at that point it was real. So I didn't have that moment where I was unsure about it, but I get why that's, where, that's what your first reaction was. I think I was still awake. Okay. That committed to the possibility of abandoning. I like it. <laughs> no, just I suck at sleeping. And I got a text from from Nick Prince that was somewhat cryptic. And I was just like, wait, what do you mean? And then he sent me the screenshot of the BNR list. And I'm just like, this has to be Photoshopped, right? Like there's no way. And then, yeah, went on Twitter and saw the discourse and everything and was like, oh my God, this is real. And I don't know if I said this on the podcast or like who, who I said this to, but I was of the opinion that if they just made a BNR announcement like this, I think that people would be not unanimously, but like overwhelmingly pretty positive about the whole thing. Just like if you just ban wilderness reclamation overnight, people would wake up and they just wouldn't care. They're like, they wouldn't be upset about it at least. Yeah. I think that's just where we've been for a while now. People have been sick of this standard. And it's why I thought the last time we did the Band and Restricted Dance, we were going to see a more dramatic approach to the format. I thought that was the time to get rid of, like I said, Teferi, Wilderness Reclamation. What else was on my list? Cauldron Familiar was there. I think Nissa was there. And I think Uro was there. Those are the two that have survived through all of this. So far. Yeah, so far. Uh, <laughs> I think they have to be safe at this point, right? <laughs> Dude, nothing's safe. Yeah. That's that's anyway. the lesson. That's the lesson of the last few months. Nothing safe. Well, when everything is busted, nothing is safe. So, right. standard wilderness reclamation, grow spiral, to very time raveler, cauldron familiar, band, pioneer, inverter of truth, Kethis the hidden hand, walking ballista, underworld breach, band, historic, wilderness reclamation, to fairy time raveler, both suspended, brawl, to fairy time raveler's band. Not going to be touching too much on the brawl. No, we can let that go. This is it's just so wild to me. This is such a quick turnaround, right? Because the last announcement was like, okay, we're we're doing these things. And then even when they talked about Pioneer in previous iterations, it was always just the win rates, the win rates, the win rates. These combo decks are not dominating Pioneer. It's it's all about the win rates, right? And it is a, a quick turnaround for all of this stuff. Now it's just like Ian talking about the the fact that you know people are quarantined and all, all of the matches are getting played in digital. And that means that more matches are getting played. And then as for pioneers talking about how the format suffered attendance wise, and that they repeatedly heard complaints about the format not being very fun because uh, a lot of the matches involved being paired against combo decks and also you know, he, he said something about the win rate still not really pointing towards 
them needing to take action or whatever, but it's, it's a dramatic shift in, I don't know, just like how they're going to handle these things. Yeah. Well, we talked a lot about having some guidelines and some clarity as to how you're going to proceed going forward. This is kind of the exact opposite of that. It's just like, here's a wild decision that's completely contradictory to everything we did last week. And I will tell you that this pioneer portion of the announcement, it feels like I wrote it. It feels like what I was saying just a few weeks ago almost word for word. Like you have to listen to people talking with their wallets and refusing to play the format. And sometimes it doesn't matter whether the format is healthy. It's about engagement. And I was on record as actually really liking Pioneer. I've played more Pioneer than almost any other form of magic recently. I thought it was weird, unique, quirky, and better than all the other formats. Now, granted, I'm saying that at a time when all the other formats were real bad, like real, real bad. But still, Pioneer was something I was finding peace with. I was finding some enjoyment with. But at the same time, I was willing to throw my perception of the format out the window because nobody was playing it. So it doesn't matter what I think. People spoke very clearly with their wallets. They didn't want to live in a combo world. And that was very much the goal of these bands we see here, going as far as getting rid of Kethis, which I think is like... As far as combo goes, it's a more benign style, like it plays on the battlefield. This is to say nothing of the deck's power, because I do believe the deck was very powerful, but it does its stuff with creatures. It kind of assembles this mass, and it often wins through combat damage and can do a few other things that don't really feel the same like splinter twin-ish nature of Inverter of Truth, Walking Blister, or Underworld Breach, but they still went after it. And I think long-term... That was the right call for Pioneer. I really support that decision. It's just so strange to see this take now when we could have just done it a month ago. And for some reason, we passed on it. I want to know what happened. What discussions yeah, were had? That, that is the question on my mind as well, because obviously just like some internal philosophy changed very quickly because nothing about like the world is different a month later. We were already under quarantine. We were already seeing sagging attendance. And it's just like all the same stuff was was in place, but this time we had to do something dramatic and different. So you say benign in reference to Kethis, but I I look at it in a different way. I look at it more like Kethis is like the Felidar Guardian Sahili, where it's like you can play this value game, you can win via combat damage, but you also have this kind of like backdoor combo kill. And that to me isn't benign. That's far more dangerous than uh, a more straightforward combo deck where the Underworld Breach decks, if you play something like Deafening Silence and they never get to remove it, they just, they can't win the game anymore. But there was nothing like that to stop the Felidar combo or Kethis because they had like plans on plans on plans, you know? So those, those decks to me just seemed way more dangerous than keeping something like Underworld Breach around. So I agree with you from a metagame perspective, like they are more likely to find long-term success. My insistence is more about perception and how players react to playing against a deck like that. Because obviously the intense revulsion to something like Underworld Breach, where they just take a never-ending turn based on one card, or Inverter of Truth, where they just two-card combo win the game, Walking Ballista Heliod, two-card combo win the game. There's a very intense kind of rage that builds when you lose to that type of thing. I'm not sure it was as pointed with losing to the Kethis combo, although it does have some of the hallmarks of like the long never ending turn. Like certainly that's going on, but it didn't feel as reviled as the other options yet 
it may have gotten there long term. Don't get me wrong, because Kethis is extremely, extremely powerful, extremely difficult to plan against. But it wasn't there yet. But still, the right call. Like, just take it out now. Make these big sweeping changes so we're not just here, you know, a couple of weeks from now doing this again, which... I mean, how how long can we do this? How long can Magic stand to do this on what feels just like a monthly basis? Well, <laughs> so in Historic, they banned Nexus when there were Wilderness Reclamation Nexus decks, right? And then it was yes. like, oh, crap, you can play Reclamation and have it still be oppressive and not fun to play against without Nexus. And yeah, we, we kind of saw that coming, right? Like it's... Yeah. It's it's not like historic is that different than current standard or at least, you know, current standard six months ago when it was pretty close to fully powered or whatever. So I think it's pretty easy to say, especially with Field of the Dead, that you could just translate Team Erect to historic and it would be successful. So, yeah, like in, in that instance, we we are just doing the same old dance like the week later. Maybe maybe now things can cool down like maybe now. Golos Field of the Dead is like the next best version of these things, and like Field will have to get resuspended or whatever. I don't know, but it will. As far <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of right there with you, but as far as Standard and Pioneer are concerned, in this instance, I think there are a couple different instances of foresight that should be applauded because then hopefully we aren't in that situation a few weeks from now, like banning Cauldron Familiar is one of the things where it's just like, huh? Like it's, it's not in the same league as the things that got banned in this announcement or like the previous two announcements or anything. But Ian notes that going forward, it will likely be an issue. So they're just going to get rid of it now. And I like that a lot. Me too. Uh, I, I think the very, very wide swath of games of magic that Cauldron Familiar makes impossible to play just demands that it gets tossed out of the format. It, it can't be there and the format be about traditional magic things. It's just not possible because Cauldron Familiar punishes that way, way too hard. There's no real weakness in the combo. So With You seems to have a lot of good foresight, a lot of good planning. There's another card though, <laughs> which is kind of oddly absent from this list, which you also expect to have an outsized impact on standard going forward. Now, maybe it isn't as pointed as the impact that Cauldron Familiar has, where it just completely negates attacking and blocking. But Uro being around for another full year is frightening to say the least. And it speaks to like my plan for standard, which is just get rid of all these problematic aspects. But the more I think about it, the more I, I guess I'm on board with Uro sticking around because when you actually start to delve into Throne of Eldraine, Throne of Eldraine in particular is where this problem is just super amped up. The cards are so good and you can go real deep in that set before you start hitting bad cards. So if the power level is going to be outliers, if, if, if the power level of Throne of Eldraine is going to be an outlier for its entire lifespan, and it is, the adventure cards are preposterous. Lucky Clover is a deck all in and of itself. I, I guess it makes sense to have some other stuff that are already on that same axis, especially if we're about to see a little bit of a pumping of the brakes when it comes to power level across the next few sets. There's There's got to be something to compete with the Throne of Eldraine space. So I, I guess it's going to be Uro. 
we'll see how that plays out. I'm not going to cast huge aspersions against that thus far. Yeah, I mean, with Gross Spiral being gone, and granted, I, I it was going to rotate, same same with Nyssa. Part of the problem with these Simic decks was that they, they kind of had everything. It's like you could play a ramp deck, you could play a mid-range deck, you could play somewhat aggressive, you could play Flash, you could merge all of these elements together. Uh, Hydra Crisis is uh, another one of those kind of problematic cards. And maybe with a lot of that stuff gone, Uro is just a card rather than fueling what is a big part of the problem. Right. I hope so. Thus far, it still seems very good to me. Maybe, though, not the only focal point of the entire format as it was prior to this set of bannings. Right. And, I mean, it's it's only been a couple days, right? right? But we are already starting to see things like Adventures, Teamer, and Golgari, stuff like that. And a lot of Embercleave decks, and these decks don't necessarily have Uro in them, so that is a good sign. However, Edgewell Innkeeper and Embercleave are the next on the list of somewhat frustrating cards to play against, so it kind of is what it is. Yeah, something's got to be the best. Uh, you, you can't take everything down, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would appreciate if the power level of the aggro deck was not tied up in this one card. Some of that has to do with best of one concerns, I'm sure, where we got things like Scorch Spitter instead of uh, maybe not as good as Goblin Guide, but just, you know, like playable one drops, one drops that can attack and block, right? Yeah. Even even like Gitu Lava Runner was just completely fine. Fanatical Firebrand was fine. And Scorch Spitter is not that. So at that point, it's like, well, we need to prop these red decks up somehow. Let's like Embercleave is the way to do it, I guess. So that's kind of frustrating, but just kind of is what it is. There are still answers with a lot of these cards gone. It encourages you to play spot removal again. Like there are yep. a, a lot of creatures with text boxes and spot removal is just completely solid. So that's a good way to interact with Embercleave. So like, you know, the, the, the sky isn't falling or anything, but it's more manageable at least than it used to be. Yeah. I think that's a good way to frame these bands actually. We all, we all want them to be the savior. We all want magic back to what it was a couple of years ago. I don't think we're quite there. Like, don't get me wrong. This is a huge, huge step in the right direction. It's a positive move. I'm thankful this is something that has happened. But there's still a lot of pressure points here. And we're not at the point where you can just play some nice threats and some nice answers and a little mid-range bridge between them and think it's all going to work out as you play a removal spell on your opponent's creature, and then you play your creature, and it all feels very 2018. 2018 has not returned yet, I promise you. I've been doing that with Golgari Adventures. It's it's not quite the same because you know some of your cards are very, very medium, and then some of them are Edgewall Innkeeper. Right. Uh, so <laughs> it's- you, you kept your engine. You were very smart about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, kill your creature, play my questing beast. You know, I think that's that's pretty healthy. And that's what I've been doing and being relatively successful in doing it. So, yeah, it's- you're closer. I, I mean, not to call out Michael Majors, because, you know, we love Michael Majors, but he posted a deck that was like Cheville and some removal spells and then like had Vivian into Terror of the Twin Peaks. And I saw it and I'm like, oh, this looks like exactly the type of magic I would love to play. And then you think about it a little bit and you're just like, there's no way you can do this. Like, this just is not ever going to be successful 
while there's still very, very huge, huge power exceptions floating around the format. Right. And you're going to try and do something like that. And then your opponent's going to Genesis ultimatum you out of the elementals deck or, (laughs) or they're just going to like lucky clover, a bunch of stuff. Like there are still plenty of things that can go over the top of you. And this is, you know, like after agent of treachery getting banned and wilderness wreck getting banned and all of this stuff. So yeah, there, there are still layers upon layers. It's not really a format where you can play like a five mana creature that doesn't immediately win the game, but it's certainly better than what it used to be because at least you're operating under the guise of uh, interacting with your opponent. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, it's interesting to see all the, for, for a long time now, our focus when it came to talking about standard has been on engines and how important they are, how critical they are, how that's really the only way to play. First, it was Fires of Invention, Wilderness Reclamation, Cat Oven. These were the cores of every single successful deck. And we keep chopping them down and chopping them down and chopping them down. But you can't forget that there's a lot of other ones just waiting to step in and fill that role. I think Edgewall Innkeeper meets that definition. It's certainly on the fringes of that definition and it's getting closer to Fair Magic. But it's one of the engines we're seeing a lot of. Clover is another one you already mentioned. There's Doom Foretold still out there, which is another engine that you can build your entire deck around and just creates these outsized impacts on your opponents. And then there's like weird stuff that just can maybe be viable with those two really broken engines gone. Like maybe there's a Titan's Nest deck, or maybe you can escape protocol your Frilled Mystic a bunch of times, and that's viable. There's just a bunch of other engines that are still out there and now deserve a second look before you go, okay, I'm playing threats and removal spells, and that's what's going to get me through this new era of magic. Oh God, I have to uh, work on Titan's Nest, I guess, with the, the Ad Nauseam card, huh? There's definitely powerful things you can do with it. I don't know if your particular path is going to be the way to go, but I, I do think you have to give these cards a second look because you're looking for your replacement for Team of Reclamation and Fires and Mention. And all this stuff was foolish and outmoded. Song of Creation is another one that comes to mind. And I talked a lot about four mana engines, but there were two that were head and shoulders above the rest. Well, now we have to go back and look at all these that still existed to say nothing of just like these huge payoffs like genesis ultimatum where you just like okay i cast this card and win and that's good enough and we have to look at all those cards again as well you want to know something funny please tell me i i just i went to my phone to make a note to do a titan's nest thing and i saw that i had a text from andrew brown who i haven't spoken to in like a couple months or whatever okay it's it's just funny that like while we're recording this podcast, wondering what the hell happened inside R&D, an R&D member texts me and asks me how I'm doing. Mm, so. so close. Although, of course, we never ask our friends in R&D for any kind of insight into what they have going on. We try and keep it uh, very separate as far as those relationships go. Eh, I, I try and ask sometimes. I don't, I don't I ever never get ask. an answer. I don't. I, I, <laughs> I feel bad even asking. Like, I know they can't answer me. So why would I even put it out there? Like trying to understand where they're coming from. So I know, I know that they're not going to answer and that they feel like that pressure, but because it's Andrew, I just kind of ask him anyway. <laughs> You're willing to put him through that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. And I mean, this, this was back in the day of like us getting lunch together and stuff like that. So hasn't happened since then, but right. Going still kind of nice corn on the cob. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Titan's Nest, Elementals is definitely something I'm interested in in working on. 
was doing a bunch of adventures, uh, did some stuff with Doom Foretold. That was, dude, that was miserable because it took so long. You're talking about engines, man. That's that's not an engine. That is, like, in, in 2005 Magic, that would be an engine. That's not an engine. <laughs> it's, it's like a slow puttering engine that will eventually get you to your destination, but you better have, like, an hour and a half to commit to that goal. I played a match of Orzov against Azorius. I decked them in game one and no oh, one had no. any fun. <laughs> I had to take what? 45 minutes. It took so long. I was like, Oh yeah, I want to try like out all these sweet new decks. And, and I, you know, got to try like three of them because that, that game specifically took a long time. Thankfully game two is a little easier, but not an engine doesn't count. I'm not super interested in working on that because to me, it's pretty similar to, you know, Chevelle into terror of the peaks or whatever. It's just like, people are going to go over the top of you and there's nothing you can do. Yeah, maybe. I mean, to think back on winning a tournament using doom foretold in an era where throne of Eldraine was fully powered actually shocks me in a lot of ways. Like it was a deck that I was obviously very high on and I have since said it was the worst deck I've ever won a tournament with, but there's something there. Like you, you do pressure permanence in a unique way. You just need like your opponents to consent to playing those type of games. And you're right with things like elementals. They just don't have to participate in that nonsense whatsoever. They'll snowball on you all day. Yeah. And then I've, I've been hearing a lot of reports just about aggro being very good. Nathan Zamora has been one of the people who's just been texting me where he's like, does this, could this deck ever beat mono red? Cause I tried it and I got beat like six times. He's like, can I fix this? And I'm just like, uh, maybe if you do this, but like, probably not. And he's like, okay, here's here's my next brew. Went one and four against Mono Red. <laughs> just like, yeah, all right, man. Look, that that's that's brewing one on one, right? Like, oh yeah, nine Litmus times out of ten, test. the first thing I sit down against is Mono Red. If it's a large part of the format, which we're dealing with very small, small numbers of results right now, mostly the SCG events that have happened since the unbanning. Not really any Mono Red around to speak of. So I don't know that it's going to be a priority, but I also would put almost no stock in those events whatsoever. They're very small. Uh, they're not really getting representative samples of the metagame right now. So maybe after, I think this weekend, there's another one of the like opens you have to qualify for from SCG. Maybe after that, we'll have a little bit more clarity. Also, there should be magic online events that we finally get some information from. Yeah, I, I keep checking the the things and like seeing that like, Oh, this, this has band cards in it. Like what the hell? Yeah. Nothing useful on magic online yet. Oh, well, one of these days, one of these days I'll open up a league and be like, Oh, this is it. We did it. It does seem like they're not populating the challenges anymore. Uh, I don't know if that's like a decision going forward. We'll have to see how that plays out over the next week because sometimes they just miss them. And they don't come back. And other times they make strange, purposeful decisions. And you only find out after a few weeks. So yeah. we'll see what's up with that. Yeah, it's weird. They used to be like very timely as as far as like when they got published. And then it was like occasionally they would just not uh, get published on the weekends. And you just have this like massive spew of deck lists come right. on Sunday at some point or on Monday. And yeah, I don't know what's going on here, but. We shall see. Or not see one, one or the other. But yeah, I don't know. Like standard's kind of interesting. I don't know exactly what uh, people can do with it in the next few months. I mean, it is rotating relatively soon and we're going to have 
some Zendikar previews coming up. I'm not sure when that starts, but it seems like it should be happening pretty soon. Yeah, I, th- I think we're slated for the start of September on previews. Uh, and then Oh, that's a mid- month. Yeah, mid-September, I think, is released. So we should have about six weeks of this format, I think. Damn. Okay. No, we, we got plenty of time then. Let's figure it out. Let's break it. All right. So step one, what are we doing right now? Uh, I was just playing Adventures because it seemed, it seemed baseline and also seemed to get back to classic magic as much as you possibly could. Mm-hmm. Basically, just the, the other stuff that we talked about. I don't know what is going to end up being the best, but if I had to put money on a specific card, I would probably just say Nissa, even though you know, outside of maybe like Sultai Midrange or something, like it doesn't seem like there are a ton of Nissa decks around, but she'll find a way. Yeah, so early leader in the clubhouse does look to be Sultai. It's what's being represented the most in these nope. smaller tournaments. Nope. Yeah, I, I'm not a believer either. And now it's time for me to say my piece on Casualties of War, which was a card designed to fulfill a very specific purpose in a very specific metagame. And somewhere along the line, wires got crossed and people are just like, this is a good magic card. It's it's not. It's not a good magic card. And six mana for a two for one really doesn't intimidate me. And that's all it's ever been against me. Like, sure, you'll have those blowout moments and it'll feel really nice. And then you'll die in a bunch of games because you have a handful of Casualties of War. So I, I'm not sure how this has gotten so much steam early in the format. I guess like it has a lot of text, so it seems like something that's powerful, but I do not like the way these Sultai decks are built right now. Uh, that, that deck is not good. Uh, it, it might be good now, and I think people are gravitating towards it for a lot of the reasons I gravitated towards Adventures, where it was familiar and you actually get to play somewhat classic magic you get to powerful cards yeah powerful cards you get to interact with people it's like yay hydroid crisis look at me but yeah a lot of what you said about casualties is definitely true where i i would say it's more often well maybe not more often but like it's it's a three for one a lot of the time but even then i i bet they still lose a fair amount of those games so it's like you know you do all this ramping and you slow your opponent down a little bit, and then this is this is kind of like your big payoff is like, oh, like two for one you. And there are either the decks that are trying to aggro you out, like go under you really hard, where Mono Red obviously does not care about that card. Or right. there are the decks like from me playing the adventure side, it's like, yeah, you two for one me or three for one me, but I, I still have a lot of different stuff going on. Like there isn't anyone that it really contains and it kind of did that against the food decks where it's like kill your oven and your trail and your land and whatever. And at that point they're, they're out of resources. Right. But with everyone else, just getting like a two for one or a three for one from your six mana card actually isn't enough. Like you need to be playing a big body that like stabilizes you or something or uh, kill your thing, play another ramp spell, play Ugin next turn and like get rid of everything. Like that's what you need to be doing. And casualties, just like as a top end or a stopgap or whatever, it doesn't fulfill those roles very well. So unless you know that you're killing three or four permanents with it, don't put it in your deck. Couldn't agree more. I, I think the best way to sum up the decks I'm seeing thus far are there's a lot of the decks that would show up to week one of like the SCG open upon a set's release and then get absolutely annihilated by like Aaron Barish as she just crushes the tournament yes. with an aggressive deck. Like that's what the entire metagame is. It's just all those decks where we're 
living in a fantasy world where there's nothing to really check us. And the the other check I'm not seeing anywhere near enough of is just cheap counter magic. Like it's unlocked now with the absence of Teferi. It was way too high risk to try and always counter every Teferi before. But now we have access to things like, say, Lofty Denial, which is a card I'm super high on. And people haven't really picked it up in large numbers yet. I think as they do, the goal of like jam my five drop into six drop is going to start feeling really laughable. And one of the decks I've been really high on thus far is just a Simic Flash deck, but more about powerful cards than typical Simic builds and, you know, able to ramp to Nightpack Ambusher on turn three and Nissa on turn four, Gilded Goose to fuel my lofty denials alongside some Brazen Borrowers and Shark Typhoon. And there's plenty of flyers to make sure you have an empowered lofty denial when you need it. But you're also participating in those early turns much more effectively than that deck got to in the past. You know, Quench was pretty exploitable. So I'm really high on that particular strategy right now just because it feels like that's an avenue that was actually hard opened up by the absence of Teferi, while a lot of these other avenues are just like, there's replacement level stuff ready to step up. Like, yeah, Growth Spiral's gone, but here's Cultivate. And it's not the same card, but you can still accomplish these goals. And Wilderness Reclamation is gone, but here's Lucky Clover. And it's just ways to generate mana advantage over time. And that's not gone anywhere. So I think I'd rather focus for right now on the stuff that actually has been empowered. And to me, that's counter magic. I mostly agree with that. I think that you're going to run into some of the same issues with trying to beat mono red or mono black and... Then there's the issue of just things like Edgewall Innkeeper, where right. when you were trying to counter these four mana enchantments, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll try and do this while also fighting Teferi. And that's that's a thing that's possible versus trying to stop an Edgewall Innkeeper, which is not very possible with just Simics. So yep. you're, you're definitely going to have problems, but I do like the idea of that sort of deck. Absolutely. One of the first lists uh, to find any real success with that kind of setup was a, a teamer flash list that had bone crusher giant basically as the red splash and makes perfect sense to me like being able to challenge edge wall keeper was a big deal i had like primal might in the sideboard which is meh like it gets the job done it's an option for those decks where they didn't really have one before yeah but it's certainly not like completely in line with the goals of that deck and feels a little thin so it could be you need to add a third color to account for the need to play removal now. That could also maybe benefit mono red a little bit, although the cost when you have a bunch more tapped lands and are taking some damage from your shock lands could be kind of an even trade. I, I think that matchup remains tough either way. But agreed. Regardless, there's still like a way to exploit what people have settled on as the approach right now. And I don't think we're seeing enough of that. And the other thing that I'm seeing a lot of people do, which feels very much in pursuit of like things we want to do rather than things we should do, tap out is it decks. And I, I've said so much <laughs> on these decks. It's just like if you are trying to do this strategy and not taking advantage of counter magic, you're playing a worse version of something else. Your is it spells are not as good as things like Hydroid Crisis and Nyssa and these really, really powerful options. So there needs to be something to draw you into this archetype and doing things like Crackling Drake or Arclight Phoenix, that's not drawing me. Like that's not appealing to me whatsoever. Can we agree that Niv-Mizzet is a better card than Casualties of War? Okay. 
I, I can give you that one. I mean, at least there's something going on there where you, you, you generally feel good if you cast a Niv-Mizzet and it won't. If you hit your six mana, you feel like you've gained an advantage. Whereas with Casualties of War, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I could have played Doomblade here and it would have been just as good. Yeah. And if you untap with Niv-Mizzet, it actually does something powerful. Right. Very powerful. Uh, but yeah, I mostly agree with you. And I don't know, kind of circling back to the Flash thing, I think the way you beat Innkeeper is just having more threats, like getting them with Ambusher, Nissa, Krasis, stuff like that. Like you yep. don't you don't need to counter every single spell your opponent plays, just the important ones, and then you need a way to actually kill your opponent. And to that end, I would much rather still be Simic than Is it, even though Is it ha- like can pretend that it can like interact with things like innkeeper. And I certainly don't want to be splashing in a deck. That's mostly just about tempo anyway. Yeah. I hear where you're coming from. I wrote about both Simic flash and is it flash this week in my article? I have not escaped Lordracus yet. That card is still taunting me, but <laughs> I found a bunch of success with it. And the whole time I'm like, I probably shouldn't be doing this. Like this is vaguely tap out. Is it ish? But you do get an end game, which I think matters. Like, there's a lot of big spells in these decks, and you need to be able to challenge a lot of them over the course of the game. And sometimes you just build this huge mutated thing, and you're able to counter everything they play for the rest of the game. And that feels real nice. And you have Flame Sweep to answer early aggression from Mono Red. And Mono Red honestly felt very favorable from the Lord Rackus side of things. But I don't know if that deck has legs going forward. It's got the the power level problems that have been inherent in this format. Like your cards are just so much worse than everyone else's. Yeah. So recommendations are find the best beatdown thing or find the best engine thing and then try and get the engine thing to beat the beatdown thing. Yeah. What about a combination of the two? Because, you know, Michael Jacob just had a very mostly dominant performance until the very end of the tournament with yeah. Mardu Winoda lost nothing. Like just decks just entirely intact, sitting out there ready to go. And it almost feels like that deck is getting less press than it deserves right now. And you could say the same for Mono Black too, which also put up a top eight performance. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is neither of those decks are good against Mono Red. And now Mono Red is actually on the radar again. Like I, I yeah. think I think those two decks, while they have their own powerful things that they can be doing, were played in that tournament as metagame choices because Correct. they could actually compete against Team Rec. And now with the format not being about Team Rec, it's, you know, about similar things. But now, like, imagine playing either of those decks against Sultai or uh, some, like, tap out Azorius control deck that's meant to prey on creatures or whatever. Like, you're, you're just going to get pummeled. Yeah, it doesn't sound great. And that was one of my big takeaways, again, in my article. It's very easy to take the decks that were untouched by bands and just try to slot them in at the beginning of a format. And... Look, Winota's a powerful magic card. It's kind of a messed up magic card and one that is almost shocking to have seen print because it has a Splinter Twin-ish feel to it where if you just have set up your prior turns, you play Winota and there's not a chance to do anything about it. You just get blown out unless you're holding up removal all the time. So I 100% see the appeal of that card. I agree with your take though. It was about punishing a metagame that just isn't real anymore. There's actual removal that's going to be played. Yeah, I mean... Winota itself is a strong card when people are not interacting. And that was kind of the running joke was none of these decks are playing spot removal. They just don't have to because the thing that they're doing just ignores what their opponent is doing. And now people are back to putting things like Heartless Act in their deck. And that makes 
playing a bunch of medium cards like raise the alarm in order to fuel Winota, just kind of embarrassing if your opponent knows what's up. Risky. So obviously try it. I mean, it, it was a relatively new thing. MJ did quite well with it. It's still probably worth exploring. I just wouldn't expect too much from it. I played my one required match with it so I could give my expert opinion and I was just disappointed. So <laughs> I quickly moved on. I get what's going on there, but like my opponent killed my Winota and then my deck did nothing. And when they're not doing that, free roll, easy game. But in modes where they're interacting, which I do think this format will at least start out doing. Yes. Uh, not exactly where I want to be, but it's so funny, right? Like for the entirety of the last format, the way you interacted with creatures was to play Mayhem Devil and Priest of Forgotten Gods. That was the, if you cared about creatures, that was the only reasonable thing to do. Like, that's how you were going to get them. You weren't going to go as far as removal spells. You just play a different engine and you move your engine in that direction. And do you think there's still space for Priest of Forgotten Gods Mayhem Devil without Cat Oven? Yes. It's possible that you even still play Oven. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, those cards are still fine. Like, you don't need to just have the complete engine set up. You can play those cards as like a one or two time activation kind of thing and have them still be good. Uh, it, I mean, you talked you talked about like how those were like the main ways to interact with creatures, but like you can't really forget that those decks also had four claim the firstborn, which right. was the best removal spell. Not close, mostly because it also tagged like Uro and Gracis and just a lot of the stuff that were supposed to be these big anti-aggro walls. And this card just made them laughable. Yeah, it really did. Uh, Sandy Dog Brandon Burton shared a picture in our Discord the other day. He had claimed the firstborn a demonic embraced rotting regisaur. <laughs> <laughs> that was maybe Thanks. the most brutal claim Thanks. the firstborn I had seen. Yeah, that's bad. That's pretty bad. But I mean, that that stuff might actually just be more likely too. So it gives you certainly gives not you, playing around it as much. Yeah, gives you plenty of reason to still play the oven, uh, even if you're not doing cat stuff with it. I mean, maybe you play fewer copies or whatever. I don't know, but it's, it's still it's still close. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if that deck returns to the metagame. Uh, has not been there thus far. Although I know Ash Lizzle was number one on the ladder playing Sacrifice without cat oven in it uh, just oh, wow. a couple days ago. So maybe it does still have legs. All right. Uh, what about Pioneer? All of your your combo homies are dead. Yeah, no more combo. I have to assume, and I haven't played since the bans. I've been focused primarily on standard, so this is just spitballing. It, it's fine if I ultimately get proven wrong. I have to assume Oro is the most important card in the format now. If we're consenting to fair magic. It's going to be about Uro. That's just the way it goes in Eternal formats. And there's a little bit more fuel, a little bit easier setup when it comes to Pioneer. Nothing really feels on that same power level. I mean, maybe we try and come up with a new configuration for like bizarre combo stuff. Can you still do anything with Lotus Field? Like, does it, you get it consistently? There's got to be something you can do with that payoff. Well, the deck existed before Breach was a thing. It did, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's still there. You're probably, I don't know, half a turn, turn slower or something. But when I when I see this BNR announcement I and how I thought about Pioneer before, I just think you have to absolutely 100% be ready for just a sea of aggro decks. So would you say they would be... 
the more disruptive aggro decks? Like, are you thinking mono black aggro, or are you more in line with like just burn people out mono red? Well, mono black in this format was pretty similar to mono black in standard, where it was kind of being propped up by the fact that it had thoughtsies and could disrupt these combo decks and was right. also just very bad against mono red because almost none of its stuff blocked effectively. So if we are now in a world where mono red is going to be very popular and very good, which I, I think it is, there's there's just so many different versions of mono red that are viable in pioneer. So I, I find it hard to believe that that isn't where a lot of people are going to start. So that makes me not want to play disruptive aggro because of the fact that mono red exists. And then certainly you can look at something like Uro as a thing that can help your deck fight against mono red. So yeah, I mean the, the format could eventually end up being all about Uro or Uro related things, but I can also see, I don't know, blue eye control, Jeskai control, stuff like that, where now you don't have to fight on the several several different axes. Yeah, like you you can afford to just like, you know, tap out for a sweeper or like load your deck up with spot removal and try and be successful that way while just ignoring the fact that like inverter could combo kill you or the Lotus right. Breach decks can combo kill you. And there's still the threat of like, what do you do about Ulamog and Ugin and like these powerful ramp things? Cause those are still going to exist, but at least now you're not fighting like a three pronged attack, right? It's down well, this, so this is all coming together real time for me. Like I said, I've been mostly focused on standard, but as soon as you said that, I was just like, well, why aren't I just casting Luca again? Right. And yeah. like, if you, if you can afford to tap out, that's where you want to go. And it seems like that deck should very quickly assert itself on the metagame. Right. I, I mean, Fires fires in general is able to play cards that beat up on aggro while also having some sort of plan that goes over the top of whatever ramp deck. Yep. yep. And I also think that, you know, you could play like a more controlling version of that sort of deck and, you know, not play Fires or not play Luca or whatever. I think that that's viable, but... Yeah, fires fires to me seems like a, a pretty big winner for Pioneer. Whether or not whether or not you play Urian, I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely a closer decision these days. I would have to think a bit more about that one before I give an opinion. The other deck I actually think gains a bit from this, and it's kind of the new face of combo. Black white white auras, I think, is actually a pretty big winner. If you're taking a little bit more time and you're just trying to blunt opposing interaction. That deck does so very, very well. And if you are careful with your setups, you can just gain a bunch of life and put yourself out of mono red's range. So I could see that deck being a very big player going forward as well. Yeah, and then there are mid-range decks too. There's like Niv-Mizzet and the Sultai or Golgari Delirium decks. Like you can tune those decks to beat up on aggro pretty well, but I'll try again with the same thing with the control decks, right? It's like then trying to beat combo and trying to beat ramp. Uh, just stretch you a little bit too thin. And now it's a lot easier on those sorts of decks to actually have success. So that's good too. Yeah. How about your personal excitement level for the format? Give me a one through 10 rating of where you were before bands and where you are post bands on Pioneer. Before I was not super high. Uh, I, I like the idea of the format and certainly when it was announced and I started brewing like all with all these different like blocks and 
stuff that we didn't get to play with before. It was it was pretty interesting. Like if, if you give me a format where I can play Seder Wayfinder in a pretty fair way, I'm pretty happy, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're not quite there yet. Uh, I feel like people figured out the best things in Pioneer and they were like a step or two above the things that I wanted to do in Pioneer. And then Eldrain came out and all of these cards that are like very, very bannable. Uh, so that made things even worse. But yeah, basically if I can like Elder Deep Fiend some people, I'll be pretty happy. Yeah, I don't think we're there yet. Everyone always we're wants not. Elder Deep Fiend is like Arc Light Phoenix in standard, which also people are trying to play in Pioneer again as well. And I, I don't think it's going to work there either. It's just like a class down from what we've been given in recent times. But it, it's getting closer. And I I was already okay with the format. And I was accepting of its limitations. Now I think I'm getting closer to excited. I think it has some real potential. It might represent every form of magic. There's still going to be some of the linear stuff going on. The one-sided games are not going to go anywhere, I don't think. like That's just the nature of card pools as they get a little broader and you are able to combine things in powerful ways. But I think the good games will be very good. And that's always been my praise for pioneers. Sure. There's a bunch of slogs and a bunch of nonsense games, but the good games are really, really good. And like I've said, I've been using pioneer to teach Janelle magic and it just comes up with so many teachable moments and so many like interesting decision points where I'm really able to illustrate some deeper concepts to her. And I've appreciated it for that, not only as a teaching tool, but just like to experience that type of magic again, it feels like very different from what goes on in standard, even if it doesn't always hit that mark. So yeah. I, I was probably like a five before and I'm maybe around a 6.57 right now as far as excitement goes. Honestly, the thinking about it, the thing that makes me most excited to play Pioneer is the fact that my laptop can maybe play two games of Arena before it it's over. Catches on fire. Yeah. So I, I can run Magic Online for days on my laptop, no problem. So that makes me pretty excited because that means I can just like sit on my couch and play Pioneer while I'm, I don't know, watching crappy TV or whatever. I have a very, very new, very near top of the line computer. The only time I hear like weird computer noises like processor whine is when I'm playing Magic Arena. Nothing else does it. There's not any other program I use that creates like weird noises and the fans kick on an extra gear. It's just Magic Arena. Is is this a laptop or are you you're talking? This, this is my desktop. Oh, so it's, wow. for those more familiar with processors, it's, it's got an i9-9900K. And okay. I hear processor whine from it on a regular basis. That's messed up. And But you play like a lot of games on PC too, right? Yes. That is yes. weird. Yes, I know. And I'm sure it's just like a weird, like multi-core optimization thing that I'm not smart enough to understand and not actually like it's setting my computer on fire, but it's just weird. The only time I hear noises is when I'm playing arena. It is. It's wild to me that I, I mean, I've, I've Googled this. I've tried to mess around with it and I agree. I'm, I'm in the same spot as you where it's like, I'm not smart enough to figure this out. If there is actually a way I just rely on Google, but yeah, trying to play arena on the surface is just like not really possible and i wish there was i wish that there was just a way to turn off all the nonsense right like you can lower the the graphics and like not full screen it and stuff like that but it's like no i just want to like turn off the crowd turn off the background turn off all the animations why can't i do that 
It's a good question. And I also know like you have a good surface too. It's not like you're talking like, cause I've had, I've had two surfaces. I had the one you had, which is like the higher end one that has like a GPU and, uh, is like the solid metal one. And then there's like a cheaper one, which comes with like, uh, almost iPad ish type keyboard. And the good one is like, pretty stacked you really should be able to run arena without it catching on fire but that's why i bought it because i had I the i had the old surface yep. and it, it was really funny going to like one of the the pro tour testing houses and it was like me rich owen Corey burkhart and sam black i think we all had the same surface because we could all play magic online on it and it right you know super light travels easy whatever then i was like well you know this this thing can't play like Hearthstone or whatever card games I was playing at the time. And the new Surface, everyone said, all, like all the reviews said that it could play those things and not like get overheated because that's what would happen to the old one. And so I, I got this one because I still like the Surface as a machine. It does a lot of cool things. I just wanted to be able to do the things that are related to my job on it, you know? And right. then Arena came out and just like, yeah, never mind. It doesn't work. So Nope. Yeah, I actually gave mine to Janelle just because I wasn't using it. it just, I'm just like, this can't do any of the things I want to do. Not a huge optimization home run for Arena, but what can you do? It plays Moto. That's true. So now I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to play Pioneer. I just wish that people cared about Pioneer so then I could make content on it. That would be That would be the best thing. And now maybe that'll change. Maybe that's where we are. I hope so. Uh, you know, it, it did feel like the launch of Pioneer was kind of like a really golden age for Magic in general. Like there oh, was so it, much excitement. Those those two months were great. Yeah. And we're always chasing that moment. I, I know we won't get that back, but the format does have potential for being like a haven for more traditional games of Magic, I think. I, I think it just lends itself very well to that. I, I think Thoughtseize is an important part of that. I said after playing the Historic Open last week, like the card that format misses more than anything is Thoughtseize. And I've always been a huge supporter of Thoughtseize. Some people see it as like bad Magic design and something that should never be included. I don't feel that way at all. I think it's such important glue for a format and makes games so much more interesting when decks operate on like fewer resources. Uh, I don't know if I'll convince everyone of that, but historic really needs thoughtsies. So, so here's the thing: there's a way to do that where it's not thoughtsies. Maybe that's true. I mean, what's your example? Do you have one you would put forth? Inquisition or something that's a mix between the two. Like, say it's CMC four okay. or less, and you lose a life. You know, so like at least then there's like counterplay to it. It's not necessarily tagging everything, but once you start introducing Things like duress that are a little too narrow, you can't main deck them. They just end up being sideboard cards or like agonizing right. remorse where it, like two mana is just too two much of an investment. Yeah. yeah, like I, I definitely, I feel the lack of that. But I also think that Thoughtseize is a, a little bit too much uh, about the text box is not mattering and that sucks. I, I can see your argument. I guess my point would be that if the option is between not having any version of it or having Thoughtseize, I'm going to take Thoughtseize. But your yes. point that it would you would be better served by like having an optimal version of it, that makes a ton of sense. And maybe it is as simple as Inquisition of Kozilek. Maybe that would be the impact I was looking for. But I did not have a good time playing the Historic Open. I also did very poorly. So maybe those two things are related, but it, it just felt like I was just high rolling every single game and there was almost no influence on my opponents. And 
just not for me, man, especially in the best of one format. I, I totally believe in best of three, it's probably acceptable, but we didn't make it that far. So how, how many bowls did you fire? Four. Holy crap. Way more than I thought, but I was so despondent. I mean, I mean, first I started, I, I played a breach list that I share with our patrons. I started 3-0 and like all the games felt easy. And then I had this run of like what felt like sour luck. Like I just didn't find a breach in my first 30 some cards or, you know, just, just random occurrences where I'm like, okay, this, this could have went differently. And I very easily could have rode this out. So I'll fire up another league with the same list. And I o three would It wasn't even close. And I'm like, uh-oh, this isn't a good sign. I, maybe my deck selection was just off, so I should probably try something else. And I just went to Twitter to consider my options. And uh, I was like, you know, maybe I didn't give goblins a fair enough chance. And again, <laughs> I start like 3-0, everything feels real good. And then I just get team of reclamation, team of reclamation, team of reclamation, completely out. So, of course, my next tournament, well, I know team of reclamation is the best deck. I'll just play that. And it was just kind of an uneventful, like two, three or something like that. So completely obliterated and didn't feel like I had a whole bunch of agency over any of it. Do you think I played? No, there's no way you played. I did play. Did you? Yeah. Do you have an exciting story to share? It's not, it's not that exciting. It's not that great. Basically I got on discord with Josh show and I don't know. It was just kind of like the old days, like hanging out, talking about magic, whatever. And it, like, if he were not there, I might not have played. But if he were not there, I definitely would not have fired the second bullet. Let me tell you. So two bullets, huh? I had I had just enough gems to fire two bullets. I was not gonna like hit the hit the you know buy gems button or whatever. But uh, I played mono white auras in the first one and kind of did the same thing as you, where it's like you start off okay and then you get hit with the the algorithm or whatever, where they just start like counter queuing you. Yeah. You know, need to need to get my whitelisting back, I guess. But <laughs> also that that deck just felt so bad. Like if, if you don't have a spirit dancer, I don't understand how you ever win because all of your cards. I think, I think you're supposed to anything. mulligan very hard to spirit dancer. I, I, I was mostly doing that. And I don't know. Also, spirit dancer being a May is infuriating for that program. But whatever. Sure. And then, you know, I saw the list that. Pika and Simon Nielsen made. And I was like, oh yeah, this deck is, it looks way better than the crap that I played. So kind of, kind of a little bit of feel bad there. And then for the other one, I took the team of deck from my article and tuned it a little bit for best of one. And I think I played against someone who was playing the list from my article. So okay. like, it, it felt a little awkward and kind of bad, especially since like the, the way the game played out, I got to go, uh, like ramp reclamation and then they played a reclamation and I had uh, Aether Gust or Borrower. I think it was probably Borrower. So I got to like bounce their thing. I didn't draw a land. Uh, so I got to explosion them for four and then like two turns later, they explosioned me for 10 and then the game kept going and they just like drew dead for forever basically. So I was able to like nickel and dime them out. Like I found an explosion to kill them and it's like I don't know, kind of kind of weird because I played some cards that were not in the deck that was in my article, you know, and I think that they were playing the one from my article, so I feel Got bad about that. That was the master plan the whole time, just set no, up. No, no, it wasn't, because also I, like, cut the, the main deck mystical disputes, you know, so, like, if anything, I was operating at a disadvantage. Okay. Um, so, so he says. But... I, I feel like they played well, and they got very unlucky to lose, so that kind of sucked, and then... I think I started 3-0 in that one and then, yeah, just ran afoul of some nonsense. 
Yeah, it felt like a lot of nonsense. It's it's ultimately fine. Like, I don't mind there being a nonsense gate on day one. I guess. I mean, I f- I did feel compelled to fire off those extra bullets, and like maybe someone who is not in the same position. Maybe I'm starting to come around to the idea that you shouldn't just be able to go unlimited. Like there's certainly people who went like 10, 15 deep on this tournament. And I think that's a very bad idea. Number one. And I think maybe it behooves magic to stop people who can't stop themselves. Or at I'm, least I'm starting at, le- at least look like you're pretending to care, you know? Right. I don't know. I don't know what the optimal setup is here. Like I'm big on giving people the freedom of choice to engage with the game how they want to. And certainly things are going to be different for everyone. I didn't feel exploited because I fired four bullets, but other people may not be in the same position. I I think it's something to consider going forward. I think there's probably like a happy medium where you can give people five shots. That's still a lot of shots, but I don't know. Maybe the tournament is just not profitable if you set up that way. Who knows? I I don't know what the numbers look like. I can't even begin to, you know, try and guess how many entries they had into the first day or whatever, but to have it be unlimited bullets, have it be this wide time frame, which the time frame is good because of time zones, right? And yeah. you want everyone to be able to participate in this thing, but like, you know, then again, you're like locking it down kind of on day 2, I don't know, whatever. But unlimited rebuys, but then you also make it best of 1 just to cut it down so that people have more time to rebuy. That sucks, dude. That sucks. That's the only reason it's best of one, guarantee it. It's hard to come up with another reason, right? Like I actually praise best of one. I I liked how little time commitment it required from me. Uh, I noticed when I didn't win on the first shot, my opinion on that changed a little bit. (laughs) It wasn't, it didn't make it so like, oh, you didn't have to invest a bunch of time because you fired four bullets, dude. Right. Right. Like I said, when it was one bullet, I was like, yeah, this is sweet. This hardly took any time at all. When it was four, it felt a little different. Yeah. I think the amount of fun you have playing best of one is just directly proportional to how much winning you do. <laughs> when when you're winning, you're just like, yeah, sure. Best of one. In, Future of magic. Let's go with it. In that version of historic, yes. I think that best of one in standard could have come to like a very happy or at least medium, like, you know, hearthstone ladder type of version where it's like, oh, okay, you know, this is like palatable. This is fine. And they were going to start moving in that direction. Like they, they also thought that there were a bunch of ways that they could do that. However, Historic was not built for that clearly. Yeah. Look, I don't think Historic has been built with any intentionality whatsoever because it's so clear that it'll just become this linear mess, really. I mean, what, what was successful? Monocolored aggro decks and Wilderness Reclamation. That's it. There really wasn't anything else that caught my eye. And it was just mono blue, mono red, mono white. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of mono black I saw and wilderness reclamation. And that was about it. Yep. I I scrolled through like half the deck list before this cast started. It was just I, I took a screenshot of one of them and it was just the one of the breach decks. I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. But yeah, I had intended to write about like interesting stuff that had come out of the historic <laughs> tournament, and there there just how, wasn't anything. How presumptuous of you, man! Yeah, that was that was a flawed approach. Thankfully, I got bailed out with some bands. So yeah, yeah, that is nice. Yeah, I, it's it's just funny. Like the the staff email we got from Cedric was just like, look, if if y'all if y'all want to take the week off, I get it. 
And then, <laughs> and then like the bands, the bands happened. And then suddenly everyone was like, no, I take it back. I'm not, I'm not taking the week off. I got plenty of room. Right. Yeah. I was, I was very willing for a week off until we got some, some good band news. Yep. One, one last thing to note about Pioneer, by the way, is that Wilderness Reclamation still exists in the format. For now. It's it's we'll not like cr- it's not crushing it or anything, but also it had a lot of competition and now a lot of that stuff's gone. Yep. Yeah, I could see it. We already talked last week about it starting to reclaim more and more metagame. I think that trend's right. gonna continue. And just a messed up card. Said it all along, not going to change as long as it's legal in any formats, it will continue to be messed up. And then historic uh wilderness reclamation and Teferi gone. I mean, I I think that was mostly expected, and well, if- Teferi was weird though. Like Tef- Teferi I- is weird, but Wreck being gone makes sense to me. Yeah, I thought that was inevitable. Teferi is very hard to explain though, and I not to say it's bad, but like I said, I, I listed it the stuff that did well: mono colored aggro and teamer reclamation. And Teferi did not feature in that. Now they talked about it having very high play numbers. That's a weird way to do bands and not something they've ever done before. So I just don't know what to make of that. I, I think it was just people are sick of this card. We'll just we hate this here. card. Get rid yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. There are places where, it's, where it still exists. And I don't know. Maybe those formats are fast enough that it it won't do the same things that it did in standard or whatever. But yeah, they, they probably expected that. Again, there was a lot of foresight made with this this set of bands, right? It's and good. I, I, you like I think to see that, it. Yeah, Teferi was another one of them where it's just like, are we going to have to pull the trigger on this eventually? Probably. All right, let's just get rid of it now. Yep. And granted, it's suspended, right? So like in theory, it might not even last or whatever. But uh, Wilderness Reclamation, I think it's safe to say that one's gone for good. I agree with you. Do we have some questions? I did ask your questions a little bit late, but I still managed to get the call out there. This week's question comes from Corn, with a C, not with a K, like the band Corn. Well, it would, they, have a, it would have a backwards R too, right? Was the K backwards too, or was it just the R that was backwards? I think it was just the R. It was a long time ago. Are you a big Corn fan? Uh, I listened a little bit. My my stepbrother was a huge Corn fan. Uh, there is a point in my life where I would have identified them as my favorite band, and now I just like have to reckon and deal with that every single day forever. Like that's not going away. It's definitely a word I said to people at some point. And it's just like, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to bear that weight until the end of time. I think, I think their first two albums were okay, but definitely anything past that. I'm just like, nah, I'm, I'm off it. Uh, I met Fieldy from Corn. He was- Oh, I very, think you might've told me this. Yeah, very nice guy. Very much trying to convert me to his religion- which I, I don't I didn't really follow. I think he's a born again Christian. Okay, um, but he he was a really nice guy, and he came to the bar, and he brought uh, I believe it was the bassist from the Deftones with him because they were on tour together, and right. he ended up hooking up a bunch of people who worked at the bar with passes to go see them. So that was pretty cool, and that was well after like my devout corn fandom. But still a cool experience because otherwise you might have converted. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that would have been enough to sell me. Who knows? What does my <laughs> life look like now if Fieldy from Corn converts me <laughs> to being a born-again Christian? Deftones what were gas. Deftones were gas. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to stand by that. 
Deftones remain gas. I'm I'm with you there. Anyway, Corn would like to yeah, know. Yeah, this is this is this is almost certainly not what their screening is based on. <laughs> I agree. Uh, they would like to know how do you assess play progress using strictly arena play as the sole indicator? I'm very high on the ladder, basically net decking, and I still see mistakes I'm making all the time. But without a play group and dialogue, I have no idea if I'm making progress or if I'm just playing a strong deck in a shifting environment. Should I take this one? Go ahead, fire away. My recommendation is that it is very difficult to identify when exactly you're having like a level up moment because a lot of it is just making small adjustments to your micro play, which isn't necessarily going to result in you having like markedly different results. And you basically need to look at your magic career, your play skill as like one big long session. And then as long as you are consistently trying to get better at at some point, you know, like six months down the line, 12 months, whatever, you're going to look back and realize how much better you've gotten or like how much easier it is to get to mythic or like, you know, top 200 mythic or whatever. And you're not going to be able to see that on a day-to-day basis. But without a play group, without dialogue, I think you should probably seek those things out uh, as best you can. And I guess you can't really do this on Arena, but I, I remember doing this a lot back in the day on Magic Online where I would go back and Me watch too. a decent amount of my matches. Yep. And I mean, you can you can set up uh, like recording software, like OBS type of stuff. Like you don't have to stream your stuff, obviously. But you can certainly record it and go back and look at it and try and self-evaluate. Like you, you said that you're already noting that you're making a bunch of mistakes, but I'm sure that there are also a lot of mistakes that you're making that you're not seeing in real time. Yeah. Review is just such a slam dunk for really anything you're like trying to improve at. I don't know how you're supposed to do it if you're not constantly reviewing your present work. Uh, as far as like real indicators. I don't think you're going to get them from arena because like you achieving regularly achieving top 200 mythic is not necessarily inherently different than achieving top 100 mythic. There's not like bars you pass where it's like, okay, you're this much better of a player. Now, a lot of it is about volume and does the environment you're playing in suit your play skill or the particular ways your play skill is elevated above your opponents. So there's not going to be any real feedback mechanisms there. You just have to, work really hard to get your own. And there's no shortcuts to it, unfortunately. Uh, Like Jerry said, you can do your own review. But if you are routinely sitting very high on the ladder, you have potential. You have potential to be a very, very good magic player. So if you want to pursue that, find like-minded people. Find the other people who are sitting that highly on the ladder on a regular basis. And a lot of them are in this Discord. And I know it's hard, you know, the Discord is a very valuable tool, but it's hard to just walk in and be like, hey, let's have this conversation because it kind of takes building up relationships and building up trust. Even if it's still a space we intend to have this purpose, you still need to get to know people before they're willing to engage with your questions. And I think a lot of it is just like being present for their questions for a while and helping people around you. And then you'll find they're very willing to help you out as well. I, I think we've seen so many positive playgroups be born out of our Discord. It might take some time to make those relationships, but if you have this goal, start putting in the legwork there and I think it'll pay dividends. Yeah, I mean, it also doesn't necessarily 
all have to be about you, right? It's like, hey, can I get some investment from a bunch of people to watch my game and tell me what mistakes I made or whatever? Like that's asking a lot of people if you're not returning that favor, you know? Yeah. But, but it can also just be, hey, I am ranked 50th right now. Here's the deck I'm playing. Here are some VODs if people want to review. And if you want to discuss the games, like I'm open to that, you know, like that is a way to do it where you're also kind of like providing value. Like you can help teach other people how to play the deck that you're playing or, you know, show them how a certain matchup plays out without having that person necessarily have to put in the time and the investment and everything. But uh, the, the second part of it, like I have no idea if I'm making progress if you are able to identify mistakes that you're making and also correct them, you are making progress. progress. Yep. End of story. Like we've said, it might not show immediately. It might not show in six months or even 12 months, but you are making progress and you should be happy about that and be proud of that, but also be constantly looking out for ways that you can continue to improve and make progress because that's, that's all you really can do. And the, the more that you improve, the better your results will be over time. Like it, it can't just be like, Oh, you know, there's this historic open coming up and I want to get better at historic. So therefore I expect to win it or whatever. It's like, no, it's not going to happen. But like if you spend two years trying to improve and you spend two years playing in historic opens, you're going to have good results in a lot of them. Yeah. Long, slow process. And when I think back of like, I don't know how long corn has been playing magic. So it's really hard to think about what their timeframes are like. But if I look back at my participation in magic, almost on a year to year basis, I can look back at something I was doing last year or the year before that and say, mm, that was kind of silly. And I think I've improved past that point. And that still continues to this day. There's, there's points. I, I think I've made significant growth on over the last year. And that's even not being super involved in like OP or trying to qualify for the pro tour. I still think there's things I do better right now than I was doing last year. And I had opportunities to work a lot on deck selection and found a lot of success in those scenarios. And I've taken small lessons from it. And then if I go look back at what I was doing two years ago, I go, oh, that was pretty silly and laughable. And I think you'll find if you're very self-reflective, a bunch of points like that in your past where you can use that to be like, I am making real progress because I feel silly about what I did before. Yep, exactly. And I there there are some mistakes where I, for, for me personally, it's like you see this situation or this card interaction or whatever, you see the mistake. And as long as you commit it to memory and I don't know, for, for me, it's about like the, the importance of the blunder or whatever. Yeah. Right. It's just like, oh, this, this is like very clearly an important thing that I messed up. And because I see it as important, it makes it way less likely to happen again in the future. And it's just like, boom, right there. That's, that's a level up, you know? Yeah. I always say I'm the type of person who has to mess everything up once to learn it. I just, I have to do it completely the wrong way. And then that's usually enough for it to cement. Now, if it's something like Planeswalker static abilities, I'm just going to do those forever. And that's never yeah. going to stop happening. So. Yeah. I guess that that's a good point too, because I, I like to say that, you know, I, I probably won't make the same mistake twice or whatever, but like, how many times have I just ran into a Narset, you know? And just like, come on. Everybody. Like <laughs> there is something inherently wrong with that card where there's not a person on the planet who just doesn't repeatedly run into Narset over and over and over. It's it's incredible. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it is wild. I, I hope that helps. Obviously, if there's uh, anything that, that we didn't answer on this, you know, like a ask in the Discord, do, do a follow-up. Because this, this is... 
a thing that is interesting to me. And like, this is one of the things that I specifically, you know, want to try and help people with. Uh, this, this, this is important to me. Like, I, I think that I am pretty good or like maybe even like a good example of being able to show people how to work through this sort of process. So. Yeah. I mean, you strike me as someone who's had a tremendous amount of growth when it comes to things like this in your magic career. So very good resource. Feel free to reach out. And if you do happen to be a member of the band Corn, just let us know. I mean, it seems like a nice thing to do if, if you're in the Discord hanging out with us. Corn is just like, P.S., why didn't you join my religion in that bar in 1998 or whatever? That's going to be an awkward conversation. Uh, one one last thing to you before we go. I I, I didn't say this in the beginning, but uh, I, I do want to thank the people in charge for like making these changes. I do think that they're they're overwhelmingly positive. Obviously, they don't solve all the issues, and we on the podcast and you know social media and stuff like that. Like I I think that it's very easy for people to just be like, oh, like they hate wizards or whatever. They're always super negative about them, and it's just like I mean, we we also try and give credit where it's due. And, you know, again, it doesn't solve all the problems, but like this, this is a good step and we appreciate it. So thank you. Right there with you. That's game. Good luck.